0: Why has my life been so eventful? Why can't I just be quiet? I'm really grateful for the fact that it's been noisy or whatever it's been, because it's enabled me to learn how to meditate. It's enabled me to realize why exercise is really important to experience my love of riding. You know, I've I've been able to get in touch with those things, which, you know, I wouldn't have been able to do had I been just trekking through.
1: Hello and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I am speaking to Liz. Liz is a law graduate and runs a business as a licensed conveyancer. During the first part of the conversation we discussed the coronavirus, Liz's career so far, her passion project to bring tech, in particular blockchain technology into property law and economics. We then move on to Liz's personal life, in particular her sexuality and her journey coming out in a conservative European family, mental health growing up, and the importance and valuable lessons Liz has taken from her experiences. Liz is an incredible person and has not only overcome adversity, but harnessed it to become the courageous and strong person she is today. It was also the first time I've used Zoom to record a podcast. We had some hiccups along the way, and the audio quality took a hit at some points, especially my audio. I used a new headset, which is pretty awful, so I've invested in a new microphone to use with a laptop from here on in, as social distancing will no doubt be with us for quite a while yet. Also, I have had quite a few people mention this from previous conversations, and this will no doubt continue after this one. Why do people call me Matt if I introduce myself as Barney? Well, the secret is out. My real name is Matt, but I had originally opted to go with my long-standing nickname Barney for the podcast. I will continue to do this, but I thought I'd better explain myself to alleviate any confusion. As we are in the midst of a global pandemic, I hope you are all doing well, both physically and mentally. If you do find you need someone to chat with, please leave me an email on momentsofclaritypodcast at gmail.com. Once again, if you do enjoy the podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, share with your friends, family, or on social media. Now, without further delay, I bring you Liz liz welcome to moments of clarity
0: matt thank you for having me i'm very excited to be here
1: look it's um the first zoom conversation pretty exciting pretty exciting stuff this new age that we're living in um i know zoom existed prior to the coronavirus coming out but it seems like it's taking over the world
0: right now yeah i think the airwaves are definitely clogging up at the moment um, One of the only ways we can communicate. Very happy to be here um, tonight and I look forward to getting stuck into it.
1: Well, it wouldn't be March 2020 without a question about the coronavirus, just to get it out of the way really nice and early. (laughs) I don't want to focus on that at all, but how are you coping?
0: Look, coping pretty well under the circumstances. It's a pretty crazy um, situation, obviously. Uh, haven't lived through anything like this before I think that that goes without saying for most people um, around my age 30 or thereabouts so um, it's like a new age war I guess um, in a lot of ways and just trying to take it one day at a a time Um, there's a lot of factors to think about obviously economic factors mainly the health factors but I guess in isolation, I'm not totally in isolation um, yet, but being in this situation where you can't go out to pubs, bars, cafes, restaurants, things I do on a daily basis is pretty crazy Um, and it's taken a, a little bit of time to get used to. But I'm just really grateful at this point in time that everybody I know is well and safe. I guess for me, another thing is just making sure everyone around me is doing okay. Everyone's in a different position, financially, health-wise, those two factors, obviously, main considerations, but it's having gratitude. And I think that's something that's really come out of it for me this week or this past seven days is I actually feel really grateful for the life that I've been afforded because so much of it has been affected or so so many things have been taken away so really positive in that regard and feeling really grateful for for whatever life i have been given
1: so are you sort of excited to get out of this and just take life by the horns in a way once it all is all over all the things that you wish you were doing or or were doing and, and just not taking that for granted or is it more that you realize that there is so much that you love without all that external stuff
0: yeah I mean I'm, I'm realizing now obviously having a little bit of downtime my life is so generally speaking day to day busy often I don't get a lot of time to reflect um, so having that time to reflect has given me that insight about what I actually do have um, now obviously well it may be position where we we all go into total lockdown that may happen it may be inevitable I'm not sure but if it is the case having some quiet time to kind of really go into that reflection I'm excited about because I think I don't get to do and get to do it enough on a daily or weekly basis generally speaking so I'm really excited about that and then whatever comes out of that is a bonus I think so I guess watch this space. Not sure what's going to happen. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh, it's a, It is a time of uncertainty, whether it's positive or negative, it is definitely uncertain. You talked about your busy life generally. What keeps you so busy? What do you do?
0: Yeah. Well, I actually, um, I'm a law graduate. So I graduated from law a couple of years ago. I'm actually practicing as a licensed conveyancer um, and I run a business with my dad. And so I've been doing that for many, many years. I, I did my law degree between then and now, and so I'm, I'm practicing in that, and I run this business with Dad. So it's really, really busy in that regard. Obviously, running a business takes on a lot more of your life or your, of your time than you think, or than you know that you that you're going to need to give it. Um, but it becomes a sort of seven till seven thing every day phones always ringing and emails and computers and meetings and so yeah generally I do that and I do a couple of other projects on the side which a little bit more passion project related my main job I think it yeah it just keeps me really really busy and always on my toes
1: so was it inevitable that you were going to get into that did your dad Uh, have a business prior to you joining or sort of encourage you to to do that or was it something that you you came to on your own?
0: Yeah it was actually really funny I mean he's been in business for 35 years running the same business and um, I was sort of meandering around my early 20s not really sure what I was going to do so naturally I took off I finished my arts degree that's what you do when you don't know what you're doing. And I took off and went to Europe for a couple of months. And um, when I came back, I sort of needed a job. So he said, why don't you come in, you can answer the phones and do some admin. So I accepted his offer and I have been there ever since. So I've been there about eight years now um, and it's I sort of fell into it really. I always knew I kind of wanted to do law. I didn't really know when I was going to find myself actually doing it or undertaking the course. But I ended up enrolling in law pretty soon after I got back from Europe. Um, and I finished in 2018. So I I, I don't know. I, I, I never really had a, any plans. I was one of those people that kind of didn't think too much about careers or anything like that until very recently um, and, and still when people ask me, what, what's your career and what are you going to do and what's your, what are you going to do for the rest of your life? I, I have no answer because I don't necessarily see my career as being just one thing, but it is that right now. So I'm doing that and, um, as I said, I'm doing a couple of other things. I'm working with RMIT at the moment as well. Um, so it's a law-based tech project that I got involved with after I finished my degree. Um, And that's relatively important to what I'm doing now in my career, in my day job. And so I'm not sure that's going to take me, but we'll watch this space again and see how we go.
1: So what is your day-to-day with your business? What does it mean to be a licensed conveyor and what does your
0: business actually do? Good question. We basically help people buy and sell properties, transfer properties and deal with a lot of clients um, in a consulting sort of role when they want to subdivide. It's got, there are various elements to it. It seems like it would be relatively simple, but because the business is so well established now, we've got a lot of clients who want to do different things. There are many things you can do with property. So essentially it's, we deal with, transferring property but we also consult with people on development projects and the legal side of it really it's not you know um building it for them or anything like that but it's all the legal elements of a subdivision project as well
1: what what, what do you love about it or what is the most interesting part about it what's something that surprised you when you got into it that you probably didn't know that you would encounter
0: yeah right um look i what is whats what is what. The best, the best thing about the job is that it's fast-paced and I don't do the same thing every day. So it's always something different. And the best part about it is that we, as a as a business, we're, we're like the go-between for people. So we are like their first point of contact and, and they always use us as a base. And so therefore we've got a lot of contacts. And I, I think that's the best part of the job To me, and I always say this: I'll never be a person that sits in a in a room and reads briefs for the court or anything like that. I hate that kind of stuff, but I love the contact with people. So it's all types of people: it's clients, it's consultants, architects, builders, you name it. We deal with them. So I think that's the most that was the most surprising thing to me when I first realized what kind of role I was going to take was this is pretty big in terms of communication and it's something that has helped me to really hone in on that those elements of of my skill set I guess the communication side of things.
1: You mentioned that you're also you've got a side project working at RMIT is that right?
0: So basically um what happened was I as part of my law degree, which was a master's, I had to complete a master's thesis, yep. and I chose to write about blockchain technology. I'm not sure whether you're across that. I know a little way. bit,
1: but I'd love you to explain a little bit more. Yeah, that would be great to hear a bit about.
0: Blockchain. Yeah, yeah. So it's basically, um, you know, a trustless network, if you like. And I, I won't go into the technical side of it because it's. It can get a little bit difficult to explain but um, where I was coming from was uh, I wanted to bring in my practical experience in conveyancing and couple it with technology. And so I went to my my university and I, I, get, I gave them a proposal and I said, look, I want to talk about blockchain technology and how it might affect the property law industry the industry of property law in in australia which is obviously a very big it's a big area um in law and in the economic framework that we have in australia so the university said sure yes you can write about that you can research it and um you know there's your six months so i obviously then went about it and i put together a thesis that was eventually published and After I did that project and and completed it, obviously, finished the degree, they called me back and they said, not a lot of people talking about this um, property and blockchain stuff and and how it might look in the future. A lot of people were obviously at that time, they were talking about Bitcoin and all of the hundreds of uh, cryptocurrencies that were coming out at the time, but not so much about how it might have a practical implication for industry. Um, So we're working on that at the moment and we haven't finished it, so I'm not sure how it's going to pan out. We're going through data at the moment, but very interesting proposition, I guess, because what it does really um, is take away a lot of the trust principles that we have currently in in our systems. And they, they found those trust principles are found across the globe. You know, someone goes to a bank, they trust that the bank's going to do the right thing, Whereas with the system of blockchain, the person can control their own asset and has complete visibility of their own asset and its growth throughout the stages of the transfer. So we'll see how we go. Very interesting.
1: It's very interesting. Congratulations on having your thesis published as well and to to get right into that. When you got into it, did you know that you'd sort of have that as a area of passion or did you just think it was something that was untouched and I'll give this a go and see see what happens
0: I guess my interest in the topic came out of um a little bit of frustration that I was experiencing in the day-to-day of my job at the time I was finding that it was very labor intensive in terms of correspondence that didn't need to be really need to be happening so I was just really frustrated and I started researching these topics and, and technology because obviously the answer to limiting all of that kind of correspondence is is there a technology that can help us and I it was just like by a twist of fate that my uni lecturer at the time for one of my subjects wasn't property, funnily enough, but had a real interest in blockchain. So we started chatting, and we got really deep into the to the chat, and that's where all of this came from. Really, she she kind of put me in the right direction, and and then I went off from there. So it's funny, life has these little twists that twists and turns. I could have got someone that was totally by the book and didn't see any innovation, but. She was really supportive of that. So that pushed me into, I guess, finding the topic and, and being interested in, in researching it.
1: Awesome. So where do you see it leading, do you think? Where, what's your hope for what you're doing?
0: That's a good question. Um, well, look, I'll still, I guess, the hope is that it has an impact on industry and the industry that I practicing currently in a positive way but I think it's a fair while off I think there's a lot of investment that needs to be made by various different stakeholders including the population so I think we're we're a way off but my hope is that it makes processes simpler and it gives people back a little bit of control I guess over over things that they own Um, is it a little
1: bit onerous like assets Sorry, you know, the idea of putting your money into a bank or a a trust fund or something and then it does Mm. all the work for you, is this sort of Mm. almost back on you to make calls and make the right decisions or is it just simply a way to watch what your asset is doing and then it's still fairly intuitive?
0: Look, it's it's so up in the air. It, It could be either of those things but the... The reality is, is that the the platform itself, if it were ever to come into fruition, and I'm not sure that it ever would, but if it it did, would give people back a little bit of control over what they have. Because at this current moment, there's less control and a lot more bureaucracy in the system than most people realise. So it's about... Taking that away, or or not so much taking it away, because I don't know that that would ever be possible, but limiting it um, so that individual citizens could have more control over what they what they own. It's it's a very diverse platform, and I think it's going to be ever changing. And and like the COVID nineteen, there's a lot of uncertainty around it, but it, that's the, that's the best place to be because um, you can sort of it's a lot more malleable and and there's a lot more to say and do in that regard
1: you're beginning i guess your journey in your career but you're already into at the forefront is there much property and conveyancing firms or businesses around the world that are looking at this or do you think do you collaborate with anyone or are you the only one that you can think of
0: No, look, there are, there are, there are the way that the industry is at this moment. And it's like that in a lot of tech, you know, in the tech industry in general, there are a lot of startups around trying to get it off the ground. Um, There are a couple in America. Some of the South American countries are looking at it quite intensely. There's big um, groups of people in Indonesia looking at it as well. So people are looking into it and it and it will become a reality. It's just a matter of when and how. And I guess it leads this conversation leads into the matter of a global dollar really. Um and, and how, if possible, we could create currencies without boundaries or borders. So it becomes part of a very broad conversation, which is obviously Become, makes it complicated in a way but if you're looking at it from a research perspective which I have been at this point in time it's just about looking at, at what you're actually researching rather than you know the matter of the global economy or anything like that but I can see that if this thing did get off the ground um, a lot of people are talking about it in the industry um, for sure talking about you know even security and cyber security that all pulls into it and and governments are talking about it so it's it's barring um but it's very interesting
1: yeah that is it is really interesting i like to obviously delve into the technical side but also the the personal side so you sort of recognized maybe a gap or an interest and instead of yeah, I'm just, I'm really fascinated by your journey mm. into, you know, starting off. And it could be really simple to just say, I'm going to focus my business, focus on building up a client base or building up your skills within your business just for your business sake. But you've broadened your horizons in a way and look, looked at something that's much more global. And yeah. I will probably, I mean, you could have easily not worked with a university and, and perhaps tried to get some private help to try to build your business and your business alone in this area. But you're actually putting research and and putting time and effort into something that you believe is positive that's going to be, Mm. I guess, out there for everyone in public. Is that something that you want to ensure, that if you do come up with some sort of breakthrough or you're you're hoping that this is going to make it easier for everyone?
0: The technology, if it took off, would make it a lot more transparent for everybody and I've always had and it's funny like I I've always had this interest in that social good I, I mean when I studied my my arts degree I was a total socialist and just really passionate about people and community and and things like that I think when I got into my job into the job I'm doing now I realized that a lot of people have really no idea um, and the bureaucracy just chews them all up and kind of, they just get tired and they just do what, what the bureaucracy tells them to do really. So generally or in, law? View, in my area yeah. um, that I'm speaking more, more specifically about area of, of work, but I think in general, you know, a lot of people in, in our country kind of just follow the masses and. And we have a lot of red tape. I mean, we are the greatest nanny state that there ever was. Um, not to not to say I'm not grateful for it today, because I think the government's doing an amazing job currently of mitigating our losses as a nation with coronavirus outbreak. But generally speaking, there's a whole heap of red tape that crosses over everybody in most industries. I mean, you'd find it in yours as well, having to do things that you didn't really think were necessary Mm. just to do them yeah Yeah. yeah, there's a policy and procedure of doing something and you have to get it done that way because the government says you have to just to tick a box yeah now i think a lot of people get as i said they get chewed up by that and they get really tired and then they just sort of do it but the thing is is that this technology, if it was implemented in a certain way, would give people more control of what what they have um, and what they're doing. And I think it's something that will probably come into effect. I can't say definitely, but I can say that if there are, is a great chance that it will come into effect with the new generation that's coming in. Um, people that actually have a lot more Connection to technology themselves um, in their daily lives. I mean, I don't know anybody that doesn't access the internet every single day. Out of you know, people in my sort of age group or around my age, whereas if you go to the next couple of generations later, or even the next two or three generations after me, a lot of people don't really rely on that. Um, they don't really rely on it, and they just do what they they think they should do or what they're told to do so i think this technology will have a massive impact if it's successful and it's not just going to be an idea that i've come up with or anything like that it'll be part of a a much bigger global push you know they're doing it in sweden for example they've been doing it their um, transactions over the blockchain for property for a couple of years not every transaction happens over the blockchain and not everyone's involved but the ones that they have had over the blockchain are far more efficient so yeah i'm 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 hopeful for the people
1: (laughs) so it is it's a i guess your value set is about the social good and social justice and that side of things but coming from the way of control, individual control and individual choice. Is that mm. what you're looking at? Yeah, because, it's a huge yeah. thing. Yeah absolutely. yeah, absolutely. And you said that you... I mean... Sorry, you said that you were, I guess, went into your arts degree as a bit of a socialist. Did that sort of mm. get snapped away once you saw the red tape in your field or was it more that... Yeah. Yeah, did it? Did it get stripped away a little bit?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it did. Look, I obviously... I, I was when I was studying my arts degree I was a lot younger and um, I guess I had a lot less life experience. I wasn't so exposed to business or anything like that as I am now and so I had this various coloured glasses view of the world which got pretty quickly taken away when I started working I guess Um, but that doesn't that's got you know doesn't mean to say I haven't got a huge interest in social justice and and making sure that things are done the right way I think we've got a long way to go in this country to to get there but we're definitely not the worst so yeah I, I mean it's it's just a really interesting. It's an interesting time to be alive. There's a lot of innovation going on, um, and especially in legal and law. Um, a lot of people are talking about technologies. There's been a lot of technologies implemented already to help in the whole field in general. The courts are all implementing it. So there's, there are things that are being done with tech and law, but not necessarily in this regard of giving people greater control so yeah i mean the the government will always be involved in these transactions they've got a huge stakeholding um with respect to obviously the beloved tax so you know they'll always be involved but um it's not to say that people shouldn't be able to have greater control of what they what they own it's also security it's also You know, we're going to the towards this really... When I started my job eight years ago, it was all paper-based. You went up, you you did a settlement, for example, of a property and you actually had to go into the city, hand over documents, hand over checks, do all, you know, be there. And in this day and age, everything happens online. So it's about security. It's about online security for people as well because we don't know whether one day the system will come under under attack and it's that kind of system currently that can be attacked. So it's about protecting people as well.
1: Yeah, when you sort of remove that idea of socialism, it's more that economic side of it, isn't it? That idea mm. of the little mm. little L liberal in terms of the economic mm, mm. sense. So what's your viewpoint there? Do you so you think that less sort of government intervention and more freedom for individuals and companies to make creative choices and be more efficient and do what they need to do to make a system better? Is that where you sort of... And you, yeah. And with that comes a better society.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, if you... The, the technology of, the, of, you know, blockchain technology, it's so far-ranging, and for me to explain it, it would take... I could talk about it, but... Days, but if you look at a property, for example, right now, generally speaking, if somebody owns a property, they own it themselves, and it costs them a lot of money to to get to that point where they're able to buy that money, whether it's five hundred thousand, a million dollars, or you know whatever, um, it, it costs them a lot of money. But with a technology like blockchain in the way that it looks right now, it could be possible for people to make much smaller investments in one property and that that could be the way and this is only it's only speculative it's not a definite and it you know I, I don't know whether this would happen but the technology if it's grown in, in a in a certain way could allow people to have much smaller investment in order to obviously benefit their own financial standing or standpoint so you know investing in bricks rather than investing in whole properties, for example. I mean, that's that's a conversation that's happening at the moment and it's it's something that some of the banks are talking about as well. Um, it's, it's, I guess, a way of giving people some type of economic freedom because the reality is that I don't think moving forward, Australia Australians, should I say, are going to be able to invest in the same way as their grandparents did it's just not going to be possible financially. Our cost of living is so remarkably high and the cost to, to, I guess, invest in a property is then so much higher. So we have to come up with more innovative options to allow people to get a return on an investment if they wish to make one.
1: Yeah, not sort of having to have a massive amount of capital
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I know, you know, when, when my grandparents came to this country, obviously migrating from Europe, they were pretty poor and they didn't have a whole lot of like, like the general story you'll hear from most migrant or, or children of migrants or grandchildren of migrants. Um, everyone knows the stories. They didn't have a whole lot, but they worked really hard and eventually they most of them were successful in buying a property or two properties. And they were able to do that because it was A, the cost of living was probably less, um, and B, the cost of the actual properties was less as well. But now we live, obviously, if you look at the supply demand, you know that balance we have so much demand and, and so little supply especially in inner city suburbs and so the cost of cost of any kind of invent is huge and pretty much once you once you get into the market i mean i see it every day you sign up for 30 years and you're pretty pretty much stuck there until you wait for the market to capitalize or you just you know pay it off over that 30-year period so you know, it's a it's a different way of investing, you know, if you were able to buy a brick for a thousand dollars and secure it on a blockchain technology as opposed to buying a whole house for a million dollars. Um and you're still gonna get some portion of return on the investment, people would be much more likely to do that. But right now obviously it's not it's not a possibility.
1: Yeah. So I do notice I guess in Australia, traditionally, we have the two major parties, Liberal and Labor, and and the Liberal Party, Big L Liberal, is more socially conservative but economically liberal Mm. and and wants that free market approach, while the Mm. Labor Party is much more uh, regulation and, and I guess, restriction to try to balance the field but with government directives over the market, but they're much Mm. more socially liberal little L liberal socially progressive, and listening to you now and and talking, you're obviously a fan of more free market deregulation, I guess, in the economic sense, but knowing a bit about your background, that you would be much more leaning towards socially progressive policy. So how does politics and this dichotomy of of thought, this very (laughs) juxtaposition...
0: It's a very challenging situation. Yeah, Yeah,
1: so why would you you be socially progressive? Why am I assuming that?
0: Look, I obviously, um, you you, you bang on. There is a dichotomy. Um, I I do um, observe the, the, I guess, the free market approach and, and in some respects I do support that um, because I think it has positives for the economy that we need and and only because we need it. Um, there are some policies that Labor will bring out that I just think, no, that is just not going to help us. Um, and we've got to think about our economy as well as we have to think about our people. So that's that. But aside from that, I, I, you're right, I, I do have a, a keen interest and link back to the um social freedom and i guess that's obviously come about because of my sexuality i'm a gay woman and i have had to grow up i guess for the most part um in a very difficult situation um where and and by no means as difficult as it could have been, but it was difficult while I was going through it with regard to obviously the the political standpoint at the time that I was coming out, but also with regard to the fact that I come from an extremely traditional family. So my sexuality was always sort of negated from the get-go from from when I realised, from when I um, first came out, it was took about 10 years to break the roof open and just sort of start to deal with the actual situation with my family so definitely socially you know always pro social freedom and, and all of those policies that come out with regard to you know, it doesn't even have to be about that, but but that was a major one for me personally. But you know, if we're talking about refugees and things like that, I know liberals have quite quite a few arduous policies on on the refugees. Um, I'm not an expert in it by any means, but always Labour has a much better approach to dealing with people in a humane way, in um, a compassionate way. So for me. I always feel that because I've been part of, if you like, a, a marginalised group in our society. And I'm only starting to realise that as I get older about, about and, and, you know, really starting to recognise that it is a marginalised group that I'm part of. Um, and so I sympathise and empathise with other marginalised groups probably more than the average person would.
1: How did you get to a level where you started questioning your own sexuality and, and yeah, just just a little bit about your journey?
0: Yeah, really interesting. And I think everyone has a, a very different journey, especially in their probably, you know, in their adolescence and early early twenties. Am I gay? Oh, I you know, maybe I am, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm bi, you know, there are always those questions and had lots of conversations friends about that during the journey, but For me, I was always pretty certain um, from about the age of 14 that I was gay and I had a really, really close friend of mine and we were just best mates and we both had partners of the opposite sex and we just developed this extremely profound connection over a long period of time and then I kind of dawned on me and I was like oh, what is this like I'm with a man in a relationship but I don't feel the same way about this man even though I love him as I do about this woman and so from then on I, I kind of started breaking down my own internal barriers um, because you, you do go through that when you start realizing, or if you do ever, you know, go through that process and not everybody does, but if you do, you start having to break it down and, and you question yourself a lot. But for me, I just sort of, I stopped the questioning and I was like, well, you know, if I'm having these feelings, I'm just going to throw myself into it and whatever comes out, I'll deal with it. And I was, I was young and, and you tend to do that when you're young. So I took I took that on and we ended up together and I it was from there that I kind of realized that this wasn't going to be ordinary for me because before that time before I'd you know we, we'd got together I, I hadn't taken it very seriously it was kind of more like oh, I'm just going out it'll be what it is and you know we'll work it out but it started to become a very s- serious connection um, very deep connection and and so i then had to deal with deal with that and, and then obviously deal with the family side of things which obviously it takes its toll um, because i was i am from a very traditional family who don't necessarily um, or who didn't at the time necessarily want to hear any of this gay rhetoric if you like around the house so it was hard it was really really hard but I guess first and foremost breaking down the breaking down the walls for myself um, and allowing myself to experience it that was the first thing and then once I'd done that I was able to kind of say and this was I was only maybe 15 or 16 at the time I was going through a really crappy time like most people are, where they're kind of obnoxious and angry about the world. and you know I just I, I pulled myself together and I was just like, I, I think I need to talk to my family about this. so I tried and you know that took a lot of courage. Uh, I have to admit looking back it took a lot to to do that. but of course, because of the fact that they're traditional and they actually didn't at the time, recognize that this was a thing at all. It was like, you know, that doesn't happen here in our family and that doesn't happen to anyone we know and it's like something that happens. It's actually that's how they they thought about it. You know, it's like a disease or, you know, people say I feel like a disease and that's like part of people's perception of of gay people or you know, genderqueer or anyone from the LGBTIQ community, they, they might think, oh, they, they're like a diseased community. And so I had that kind of hanging over my head for some time um, because when I tried to come out, my, my parents didn't actually take it in. I think they, well, I know that they were very well in, in denial, which was really, really difficult. And it, it led me to pretty, some pretty dark places for a long time Um, while I was dealing with it, but um, I'm happy to be on the other end. It's just taken, it's taken a lot longer than I thought it would.
1: A very brave move at the age of, I guess, 16 to approach, yeah, that sort of socially conservative European family. Mm. And did you have a support Mm. network or did you were able to talk to someone? I know you would have spoken to your partner, but anyone else that you were able to lean on and, and use as a sounding board during this time? Were you, were you fairly isolated?
0: Yeah, look, um, I did. I did speak to obviously this partner that I was with. I, we did have conversations, but I was very insular at that time in my life. And so I was, I was insular and I was angry. So those two never helped. And I kind of ended up in a bit of a, a spot of bother where it became a little bit traumatic for me. I, I shut everybody out really. Um, I, I didn't actually, I ended up breaking breaking it off with that girl and trying to figure it out um, for myself and, and just trying to be by myself, you know. No, but I didn't want anybody to kind of infiltrate and, and take away from what I was experiencing because it was a really profound experience. At that time in my life, it was total rejection. It didn't matter what I'd done or what I hadn't done in other elements of my life. It was just no, you know, um, and, and hearing that repeatedly and, and and the kinds of questions that I was getting from my parents were just so too much. It was just too much for me for too long. So I ended up shutting, shutting myself off. And to be honest, without saying too much, I, I am... I feel really lucky to be alive because there were some days where that was a question. Yeah. I'm just really lucky that I was able to get through. I then, uh, when I was a little bit older, I was, I was 18 at, at the time. I sort of came through that. I came, I pulled through. I I, I did have a bit of therapy and, and stuff like that. It was all self driven. My, you know, I, did it aside from my family knowing or anything like that I kind of put myself in therapy and did what I had to do I'm not even sure how I did it I I can't even remember it was such it's such a whirlwind of just emotion and feeling um from that time in my life but um I ended up with another beautiful girl who I'm currently still with and she really helped me because that was like the second wave of, okay, now this is like, I'm 18 and I'm still going through the fact that I'm going to be rejected. And I'm scared that if I decide that this is the life I want to live and I've met you and I feel like I really want to be with you, then I'm going to have to live without my family. And that is like a really hard reality to take. So I took that on, and that took me about four years to work through. <laughs> so yeah. it's been a lot of time spent dealing with, I guess, it's just feelings of rejection and marginalisation and people just not understanding where you're coming from, when for you as a person, or for me anyway, it was just so simple. At that time anyway, Once I'd gone through the initial stages, I'd met met someone I really wanted to be with and I just didn't understand why it was so hard, you know, having to go to family events and they couldn't come or thinking about what my future looks like and then thinking my family won't be there for me. Like that was really a big part of the early 20s um, for me, that early 20, like 18 to 24. I kind of dealt with that a lot, again, fell into the whole why am I alive? Maybe I shouldn't be here and the you know, the suicidal thoughts and all of that kind of stuff, which creeps in because it's natural. You know, if you feel like you can't be yourself and and people won't accept you, then you do get to that point where you think none of this is worth it. It's all shit, Mm. you know? Um, So no matter how much I'm trying in my daily life to succeed in things I'm doing, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, no one gives a shit enough to accept me. So that's that's a hard pill to swallow. But eventually I just had to, you know, I sat my parents down. This was probably the third or fourth. I think it was the fourth time I sat them down. I was about 25 at the time and I just said to them, look, this is how it is and if you want me in your life you have to accept me this way or nothing because I'm going and I'm I'm, I'm not going to come back and I just don't care like I'm at that point where I'm either you're going to accept me or you're not but I'm I'm going to be this way either way and I think that was a real wake-up call for them it it kind of i that it's like they'd never heard me before. So I feel like when I think back on that conversation and it was literally one conversation around a table on a Saturday morning and I just put it to them point blank like that. And from then on, I just, I never ever felt that again. They just, it was like they'd been waiting for me to say that to them. And my dad just looked at me and he's like, I've known this all along and it's okay like i don't love you any less and it's okay and i feel like when i look back on it i i feel like i was a detriment to myself in the whole process because i had so much anxiety about what they were going to do to me and i would preempted so much about that the fact that they were going to disown me or not talk to me or, or i was going to lose them that I, I couldn't see the situation for what it really was anymore. So I guess, yeah, I dealt with a lot of anxiety, but I I, I got through it. <laughs> That's a plus.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's – thank you for telling your story. What's a sort of something you take from that? What's a lesson that you do take with you today or that you'd, you'd share with someone going through something similar at 16 and i was going to ask the question as you were talking about was it mm. the anxiety and the and the burden you put on yourself and if you had told your parents in that point blank way at 16 or 18 they would have just said yeah we accept that or do you think it had to have come mm. out when you were an adult 25 and and water had gone under the bridge what what do you think mm. it was was it a bit of everything or was it truly just being assertive and being honest that was necessary
0: yeah Look, I don't think so. I think um, I tried to be honest a couple of times and it hadn't worked. So I think that's where the anxiety came in and it just kept mounting because I kept trying and they weren't, for some reason, they weren't listening. But, yeah, I think when I I was around, you know, when I was 25 and I told them, I think they finally realised this isn't going to change and she's telling us this she's being really open and really honest. She's telling us that she's either going to be here today the way she is or not at all. So we need to accept that. And I think that was really liberating for me. But, you know, it's really hard when I think of younger people and I think of what I went through. I I pain at the thought of having to go through that again because it's so, it is so challenging. Um, but the one thing I have got out of it is this unimaginable, like, I feel it's just personal fortitude, you know, because I've been rejected, you know, being rejected by your parents for so long is the worst feeling ever because they're they're the ones that are supposed to, you know, love you, care for you and be that way no matter what. Um, and in, in my case, they may have been deep down inside themselves, but from what what they were putting out to me wasn't that message. So I felt a total rejection. And if you can get through that, there is this total new world of personal fortitude you find and knowing yourself, you know, you, you, you really learn a lot about yourself going through that. So while I don't wish that on people and I hope that, as a society, we continue to change. It is this notion of internal fortitude and grit. You know, it's, it's this thing like nothing is going to break me down. I've been through that now and that's the worst feeling I can have. So nothing else is going to be that bad. And I just don't care what it is now that confronts me. I will deal with it. And that's just how I look at life. And, and it's only because of this situation. So I feel really grateful for that. While it was really terrible to go through as a young person, I think it's put me in a different position in my life moving forward, for sure.
1: Yeah, amazing. That's, you know, there's always silver linings to experiences and, and even trauma and, and things that you do go through. But, yeah, to come out the other side and to have all those lessons that could have led to a much, well, to a really negative pathway, whether mm. that is a self-harm or suicide or, or leads to other harmful, I guess, behaviours that yeah could come about from, you know, not really valuing yourself. And mm. your situation, and I guess maybe it's changed now with, I guess, the internet and, and there's much more hopefully available for young people, but... Is also yeah. the fact that you went to a private Catholic girls' school, and mm. you were also in a in a yeah that social conservatism there, and then likewise with a family that thought that, and then through the gay marriage vote and the fact mm. that that was given to people that had may never have met a gay person or may have no idea what it feels like to be someone in the in the LGBTIQ plus community, Mm. it's unreal that, you know, everyone else was talking on your behalf and it's like, will they let us do this? Will they let us be able to have the rights that people that are straight get to have? Yeah, so being in that I guess environment on so many levels can yeah, is so harmful. And I I yeah, wouldn't I come from an extremely Privileged position in so many ways, and I realize that all the time. and mm. I don't think I'm in any way marginalized except for my height. But, um, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> that's because so you're
0: Italian, <laughs> so I'm there to say, so What's my where are my good points?
1: I <laughs> know oh, you got plenty of good points.
0: <laughs> uh, wow,
1: but yeah, no, no, but uh, it's yeah, it would have been tough, and to yeah, to come out the other side. You talked about what Look, you
0: learned yeah come on it is hard and it's um i think the thing with it is that it's always going to be dif- different you know it's it's never going to be the norm if you like um and so for me and, and i experience that pretty readily because i come from the family I come from, so it's not just my immediate family, but my extended family, who is also a very large Italian family, have certain ideas and and ideals about what life looks like post twenty or post twenty five. You know, you get married, you have kids, you work, but you know that that's what you do. That that's your pathway. But when they, I feel like when they look at me they're confused because they don't know what it looks like for me so no one has it and that's like it's probably a positive I, I honestly sometimes think oh, that's a positive no one has any idea what I'm going to do because they don't get it they aren't just a normal person like them but you know it's about I guess understanding what the conservative view is and then observing it and then doing what you're going to do, doing what you want to do. But, but not all people are are strong enough to do that. And I recognize that. Um, and there are, as you said, there are a lot of services out there for people in this position. It's not, it's not, um, something that's not readily spoken about, you know, and, and dealt with in our society, but there's always going to be marginalization. It's just what it is. And, for whatever it is, that's, that's probably the reason why in my situation I'm really grateful that I went through that as a young person, the situation that I went through because I'm going to have to have a lot more personal fortitude to get through it than I would if I was a straight female at 28 years old getting married next month, you know. I just, it's just a little bit different. my my life is probably going to take a a little bit of a different course and people are going to have an opinion about it. And am I strong enough to deal with that? Well, I feel like I am now, but I may not have been when I was 18.
1: Yeah. I guess marginalisation comes in the form of being gay. Has it affected you as a woman as well?
0: Yeah, I mean, look, um, as a woman, you're right, and women have, generally speaking, I think the gap's closing now. Um, we're, we're getting a lot more equality and a lot more runs on the board for women, which is great. But and I feel I'm a very, I am very feminine and I'm a very feminine person, but I don't necessarily see my gender as a barrier. And because of that, I don't have a I I really don't have a lot to say on that. I work in a pretty well male-dominated industry. I do project developments that are fully male. I mean, on a day-to-day basis, I could be in a room with 10 male males and just me, and it just doesn't bother me. I just don't care. It, I don't see myself that way. So I don't think I'm a woman, so they're going to look at me differently or... I'm a woman, I should shut up, or I should not say that, or I shouldn't wear that. I don't, it just doesn't, does not even fall into my line of sight. And I don't know whether that's because I've been through all of this and I just think, well, fuck it, whatever, you know, I'm just going to do what I feel is right and my gender doesn't really matter, even though I am very connected to it and to my femininity. But I'm really, I I think with the gender sort of discussion that that has been happening for quite some time now about equality and all of those things, I think the more you think about it and the more you look at yourself as a woman and say, I'm a woman and I am in this position where I'm in a room with 10 men so I feel weird or I feel uncomfortable, the more you think about it like that, the less equal you are. You know, so I've really tried, especially in my career, to not make gender a thing. And for me, that's been easy. But I don't know that it is for everybody. Um, a lot of people struggle with that notion and and have more to say and more to feel. Whereas I sort of just it just doesn't bother me. I don't think about it too much. You know, I, I try I try to you know if you start if I start looking at myself as like holy woman and, oh, you know, men have always had more power or always had more control of their finances or whatever the case might be back in the traditional times, then I feel like I'm putting myself back in that box and I don't yeah. need to be there. Like, I've, I've jumped out of that a long time ago. And and the other thing is, you know, I'm, I'm in a long-term lesbian relationship where we don't have, there's no male but we also don't have that gender role situation so I live a lot of my life where we're just two equals living and there's no gender doesn't come into it at all you know I'm in a relationship with a woman obviously but I we don't think of each other and be like you do this because you're the male or you're the male in the relationship or any of that kind of stuff it just doesn't come in at all we're just two equals enjoying a relationship and doing life together and that's it so I take that into my daily life and I take it into my job and other things I'm doing on the side that I've spoken about it just comes with me everywhere and I don't I don't bother too much about it Uh, I guess it's that word expectation and almost expectation from external sources that Mm. muddy the water
1: in a way and, and can really change the way you feel and think. And when you – I just wanted to go back a little bit. When you said that you'd got to a point where you were in your darkest places, prior to that, were you sort of – were you a happy kid? Were you someone that that would – it never crossed your mind to have to have faced anxiety and depression at all? Is that how you mm. – like-
0: Yeah, look, I, um, I'm um, i interesting – Sort of upbringing um, in a lot of ways behind the scenes. So very standard, you know, nuclear family situation. But my sister has was born with birth defects. So and she's older than me, and so my parents put a lot of time and effort. You know, she's totally fine. She's just got she had learning disability and social issues with socializing and sort of non-verbal disability stuff like that so my parents put a lot of time and effort into obviously raising her even though she was a couple of years older than me so I kind of fell into the background and so I was I was pretty happy I you know pretty relaxed nothing really fazed me I was pretty good at school but um I ended up with a bit of a eating disorder and so I think that was where it all kind of came unraveled for me I was about probably 11, 12 years old and I was obese and I just couldn't stop. I was like not doing very well, but at the same time, I don't think anyone had really realised and I certainly hadn't realised that it was even a thing, um, even a problem um, until I went to a doctor and they were like, no, like this is not right. You need to go on some kind of diet or, you know, some something to – to um, get this under control. And so my parents obviously then took, took that up and started trying to get me to lose weight. But then from there I kind of snowballed into the other dimension of eating disorders, which is obviously it started with um, obsessive exercise and then it went to bulimia and I was pretty unwell for a period of time before all of this sexuality stuff even had came, even come up for me and that was that was like early teens so i was pretty happy up until about 10 ish even though i had all of these other family things happening you know my sister was really it was pretty difficult looking back on it and you know always being in the background kind of just bending for myself even though I was an independent kid, and it's probably where a lot of my independence has come from now that I look at it in hindsight, growing up like that, where I had to do a lot of things for myself because mum and dad were always pretty busy. It, it's just, you know, I, I, I guess, yeah, I had, I did have a lot of anxiety back then, and it could have, could have even been depression, but it was all uncharted territory until the sexuality stuff came up and I had to deal with it in the best way I knew I or the best way I knew how to at the time
1: in your adulthood and now that you've come through a fair bit of adversity I guess that young people shouldn't have to deal with in any way, mm. how do you deal with keeping yourself mentally well and positive do you have any triggers that you try to sense before they arrive do you have a regime that keeps you in check do you what, what do you do to keep yourself I guess positive and, and mentally healthy
0: yeah look I've had to I've had to put in a huge amount of checks and balances into my daily routine not not unwilling though I'm really willing to do it so um, when I was going through all the sexuality stuff in my mid-20s, I saw a sack and she was like, look, you, you're out of, you're you're all over the place. You keep going like this, you're going to end up dead, which she was right. So let's start dealing with some strategies. And I was in therapy for about two years after that, just dealing with how I was going to be able to deal with anxiety in general because that, that had really started started to overtake me. Um, so now in general, day-to-day life, like I'll get up. I'll meditate, go to work, come home and I'll exercise. So I do a lot of meditation, a lot of exercise and also a lot of writing that that really helps me. I've always been keen, a keen writer. So I do a lot of writing. It's not really for anybody else. It's more for myself. You know, I'll do it during the day if I'm thinking something, just quickly write it down, help me get it out so that I don't hold on to it. But these techniques, you know, you learn them over time and you, you learn them as you're going through situations. And I feel like I've had quite a few situations to, to trek through, but um, I'm, I'm definitely a lot stronger for having been able to go through those situations. So I look at them now with a positive, you know, positive glasses on and just say, well, they've, you know, these things have happened to me, but I'm still here. So I'm not going to take it like, oh, you know, why is this always happening or why is something always happening to me or why has my life been so eventful? Why can't I just be quiet? I'm really grateful for the fact that it's been noisy or whatever it's been because it's enabled me to learn how to meditate. It's enabled me to realise why exercise is really important to experience my love of writing you know I've, I've been able to get in touch with those things which you know I wouldn't have been able to do had I've been just checking through you know yeah just
1: sort of coasting along that you
0: coasting along yeah yeah, yeah. you've been
1: forced to in a way for your own sake yeah grab these strategies that that help and so you've got creativity there with your writing. you've got you know the mindfulness practice and meditation you've got your exercise and just being healthy and and moving in general so doing all that which is yeah brilliant and and so many people need to do that and and make sure they are doing that obviously and continue Mm. that especially in our current predicament now that everything's out of whack that your routine doesn't have to stop in terms of doing all the right things and if you never had a routine maybe it's the perfect time to take stock and yeah, give writing a go, give meditation a go, give um, longer walk or a bit of exercise a go as well.
0: I just an important point to touch
1: on, but uh, what do you, how do you, I guess, engage in meditation and, and what started you? Was that through the psych that you started learning how to meditate? Oh, yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely, yeah. So I had no background in any of that kind of stuff before I saw her. But she introduced me to, I was having a lot of trouble at that time, obviously with anxiety and just stopping, you know, I, I couldn't stop. My brain was just like, I'm, I'm a very inquisitive person by nature. So I was just questioning everything at all times. And so she's put me into this meditation routine. She was like, you know, go away for a couple of weeks and, and see if you can, stop yourself from thinking, you know, and come back to me, you know. So uh, yeah, I tried it. And of course I failed because it's virtually impossible to do that. And so I just kept practicing and practicing and practicing. And now I'm at a point where I can just, you know, it's not a long time. It's, it can be 10 minutes. It can be five minutes. It's, you know, a little bit of music in the background and it's just breathing, you know, it's this type of, Meditation—it's—it's it's just breathing, and you can—you know—you can do it with music, or you can do it without music. You can do it outside. You can do it anywhere. And I think that's what's really helped me—the um, fact that it's accessible from any part, you know, from anywhere. I can do it from anywhere.
1: Yeah, that is such an important aspect of it because you need to be able to. I guess it's something that you, as you said, if it's a five minute thing or even a two minute thing. It's just taking stock of how you're feeling and noticing what's going on and, and sort of changing your pattern of behavior for that moment. Just realizing that, yeah, you are in a heightened state or you are starting to feel a bit of anxiety or, you know, starting mm. the self talks, starting to become negative, whatever it might be, isn't it? It's, it's that idea of,
0: it's just that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, accepting that. even. You know, the thing is, yeah. I mean, the thing with, the meditation and it's just that it's acceptance you know you have hundreds of thousands of thoughts a day if you're anything like me like I, I think a lot about a lot of different things that's just the way I am but you've got to be able to accept the thought and let it go mm. and that's that's what a lot of people struggle with and I know anxiety is huge on the agenda these days and everyone's talking about it and but what they rarely talk about is, That notion of just acknowledging you've got the thought or you've had the thought or you've got the feeling or or whatever it is, and just being able to just accept it and just let it go. I mean, a thought, you know, within one minute, every single cell in your body has gone around once. So, on a cellular level, you are a totally different person than you were a minute ago. So, thinking about things and just acknowledging that things pass thoughts pass emotions pass and and not holding on to things and that's what i've got out of meditation the ability to just break free from these these really rigid thought processes that unfortunately create over a period of time self talk or whatever it is you know you might be going through a really tough situation and you start talking to yourself in a really negative way and that becomes the norm it's really hard to get out of that. You know, it's, it's super challenging to break a thought process. But the first step, and as I've learnt, and I've, as I've continued to practice meditation, is that you really have to accept whatever it is you're feeling or thinking. And it's, it's actually that simple. You just have to accept it and let it go. Mm. Because if you don't accept it, it festers, and it just becomes bigger than Ben-Hare it sounds complicated and i think you know you when you read about meditation and anxiety as it's often spoken about it sounds really complicated and and you think like how how am i going to let it go or how am i going to let this thought process go or how am i going to break it down but it's really the way that it got there is the way that you have to break it down so it gets there over time you know, if you've got a really anxious thought process about something, you know, I'm just say you really want to play cricket but, you know, you, you think you're really bad at it or, you know, you've got anxiety about being really bad at it, the longer you start, you keep thinking that, you build up on this really, really big tall mountain of anxiety and thought process that is really hard to break unless you accept the fact that you're really bad at it and then you can start sort of start to break it all down. So the way it gets there is the way it has to come down. It's really slowly breaking the thought process down day by day. But that's with, you know, with any kind of anxiety. Um, I find that that's really helped. That sort of thought process and procedure around how to deal with anxiety has helped me a lot in a, in various situations that I've found myself in.
1: Thanks for that. That's uh... Wonderful insight into the, your process I guess and then and I think it will benefit so many people to to listen to someone mm. work through that process and and yeah how they might do it too and yeah it's it's such a weird thing the brain and the mind and its mm. interactions with the body and and what <laughs> we tell ourselves and thoughts it's it's an area we we have very little understanding of as humans, even though we are. It is us.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's it's funny because people. Yeah, I mean, we don't generally have that much knowledge about how things work, um, and unless you're really putting in a lot of effort to figure it all out, you, you it's hard to get the full picture of how your mind works. And everyone everyone works in a different way, but the same technique can be used for. You know, everyone can use the same technique. You know, everyone can meditate every day. It's just whether or not you're willing to put in that work to get to a point where it actually works for you. Because the thing is, is it doesn't, all of these things, you know, even exercise, it's another thing I do. But, and a lot of people do it. It's really common these days, people, you know, going to gyms or running or playing team sports or whatever it is, just to let out a bit of steam from their daily life. But unless you put the effort in to do that and to keep it regular, it's not going to work. And this is what, this is exactly what it is in mental health as well. You know, unless you put in effort with your mental health and that by that, I mean meditation or whatever it is, you know, it could be finger painting. I don't know anything that makes you feel like you can let go. um, Unless you do that regularly and intentionally it's really hard to make it work
1: for sure liz this podcast is about me having great conversations with great people and you've fit that category well so thank you it's also about finding out a little bit about (laughs) it's about perspective and me gaining different and new perspectives and learning Mm. about myself as i learn about others uh, it's about bringing those conversations to the world. And it's also about finding out how people are working towards aligning their values and things that they believe in their purpose with their actions and how they actually end up living out their life. And it mm-hmm. seems like you're trying to match up your, and and doing a good job of that with not only getting your own, I guess, personal life and, and adversity and challenges and, and, you are, and and coming. I guess making. Uh, I was going to say coming to terms, but it's not like you have to come to terms with anything. It's it's about removing expectations of society and starting to take take charge mm-hmm. of life. That you're not just watching yourself on a stage and hoping it turns out okay, but you've actually got ownership of what you are and where mm-hmm. you end up. and And that's something that I've definitely heard from from you so that that's that purpose and value set on a personal level and then also in your work but I, the question I want to ask from touching on all of that is have you had a moment of clarity through this conversation or one recently that you'd like to
0: share absolutely it's been a very great uh, conversation so thanks for having me tonight and yes I have had a moment of clarity just earlier on this evening You brought up the notion of expectation and I think, well, I don't think about it very much and I haven't thought about it very much, but now that you've brought it up, I think that's been a really big thing for me Um, going through my adversity, particularly with my sexuality earlier on, um, is that notion of expectation and what people think and trying to balance out what I think versus what I, what they think to find a happy medium. In fact, the reality is that that's not what I really want to do. Um, what I really want to do is just take charge and be responsible for the life that I want to live, despite the expectation that there is over how I, I may or should live um, in other people's perspective. So my moment of clarity tonight is that expectation doesn't really matter i think um the only the only expectation that people should be living to is their own if any at all because i think expectation can damage a lot of goodness and it can take away a lot of the wonder of the world um, and it can make things really sad so trying to live without too much expectation in a way lowering the bar so that you can live as you should is probably the way to do it
1: yeah absolutely thanks so much i don't want to have to keep you for much longer i know we've had a very long chat it's been amazing and thanks so much for, for doing this and helping me break my Zoom podcast virginity. So you've got to
0: I'm very excited uh, allow, to do that.
1: <laughs> I really appreciate uh, you opening up and being so brave in a way to tell your story and to tell your story not only to me but to an audience that doesn't know you and, and they can hopefully learn so much through your experiences and, and take take on board some of the the lessons and experiences you've had so that either they don't have to or that they can see that their pain isn't their own and their own only, that other people have gone through it. And you've come out the other side and, and, you know, you're obviously super successful with running your own business in an area that you're passionate about, that you're touching on more than just a job, but actually, you know, having a say in how the field where it ends up so you know all of that has been brilliant to learn about and i'm really thankful so thank you
0: thank you matt thanks for having me and yes absolutely i mean the adversity is not a singular notion so anybody that listens to this podcast i hope that they recognize that and there is always a positive on the other end that's for sure
1: If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family and leave a review. If you'd like to contact me, provide feedback or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, please send an email to Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.